Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Eric Adams is the Brooklyn Borough President. Yes, that's my beloved Brooklyn. He's also a former New York City police officer for more than two decades. And now he's an advocate for plant-based nutrition and reversing diabetes and chronic illness, as Eric has a remarkable health story. He had severe vision loss and was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which he reversed. Yes, he reversed all through the power of nutrition. His doctors were so shocked that he was able to do this. But here at My Buddy Green, that doesn't shock us. He now tells his incredible story in his first book, Healthy at Last, a plant-based approach to preventing and reversing diabetes and other chronic illnesses. He's an inspiration, and I'm honored that he's with us today. Eric, welcome. As I mentioned before we got started, as a Brooklyn resident since 2009, uh, I love this city, I love our borough, and Thank you for taking good care of us. Thank you. Thank you. The city and borough loves you. And <laughs> welcome as an adopted son of Brooklyn. You know, uh, you're going you're gonna to forever have that Brooklyn feeling in your veins, you know? <laughs> I, I, I am with you. Uh, well, thank you. But we're, we're, we're not going to talk about Brooklyn, although I'd love to talk about Brooklyn. Uh, we're going to talk about your incredible personal health journey, which has come to fruition in this amazing book from you called Healthy at Last. And so let's start there. You have such an empowering health story to tell. So can we rewind to 2016 when you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes after a colonoscopy? So can you talk about which symptoms you were experiencing and, and what was what was that like for you? Well, you, you know, and I think that the journey is really a reflection of just life in itself. You know, no matter who we are, we're going to find ourselves in dark spaces and dark places. And the question becomes is not to interpret it as a burial, but as a planting. And the fruits of your harvest should go to feed people who are in dark spaces at the time. And that's how I felt. Uh, you know, my mother said that, you know, if you are fortunate to live long enough, you're going to be misfortunate to experience pain. So turn pain into purpose. And so back in 2016, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I was feeling discomfort in my stomach and I thought it was colon cancer because I just lost a friend to colon cancer. And it wasn't like gas that had moved around. It was just stationary. And it was only after... I decided to go to my uh, my internist who sent me to have my colon checked and my stomach checked. That when I came out of sedation, the doctor looked at my numbers and he stated that, uh, Eric, you have an ulcer, uh, but your real problem is your diabetes. You're at a comatose level. He said, in fact, I'm surprised you're not in a coma, actually. And at that time, I was experiencing vision loss in my left eye. I lost sight in my left eye. I was losing sight in my right. I had nerve damage in my hands and feet. I didn't even realize it. it was tingling all the time. And I couldn't even feel my right thigh. I thought it was from playing football. Uh, and, you know, men, you have to drag men to the doctors. You know, we shake it off. And so uh, I was just in a terrible state. And the symptoms were at the advanced stages of, you know, kidney issues, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, 
my body, I, I looked like the average 54 year old, you know, put on a little weight, not too much. I uh, had a sort of a muscular build, but, you know, I needed to take an internal selfie because my body was breaking down. And so you said something interesting in a previous interview or actually, you know, I think in the book um, where, you know, you thought you had cancer and you have a quote, we've equated a cancer diagnosis to death, but we look at diabetes as something that you get when you get older. So can you talk about that? You know, it was amazing, Jason, when I was in the uh, doctor's office, the internist's office, and he says that, uh, you know, explain the late stages of diabetes. And it was a part of me for a moment that I said, okay, you know, it was coming. You know, when you when you get to your, your, your mid 50s, there are certain tests that everyone tells you to take, because at that point, your body uh, naturally breaks down. And you know that this was your time. You know, your mother was diabetic. Your brothers and sisters were pre-diabetic. Uh, you know, your family member was diabetic. So I saw it almost as a nat natural transition uh, to when you get to a certain uh, age in life. And it wasn't until the doctor said that, you know, hey, uh, you're going to lose your sight that I said, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. You know, <laughs> but growing up, we heard Aunt Betty had a little sugar. Or, you know, we, we, we sweetened the, the diagnosis of diabetes. Little did I know it was the leading cause of blindness, the leading cause of non-trauma limb amputation, one of the leading causes of heart disease, and so many other diseases uh, that when I started to realize what that diagnosis meant, I said, wait a minute, I, I, I got to fight. I can't just surrender uh, to, you know, just the diagnosis. And so you, you talk about crediting Michael Greger's fabulous book, How Not to Die, for, for helping you take that, that next step. So talk about the impact of that book and ultimately what you did in terms of diet and lifestyle and how you ultimately reverse type 2 diabetes. And, and Michael is a real uh, hero and a friend, and it really inspired me to do uh, the book uh, Healthy at Last. And it's a powerful statement because little did I know I normalized the discomfort of being unhealthy. It became part of, you know, we have the amazing ability as human beings, uh, beings to adapt to our surroundings and we hard, we're hardwired to adapt. And so we can normalize uh, any level of discomfort. It's amazing how it's done. And I normalized the aches and pains, not being able to sleep, um, the constipation, the bloatingness, uh, the tide, the lethargic feeling. And I thought that that was a part of life. And I normalized those symptoms of the unhealthy body. And uh, that was really important when I decided uh, that I learned that you didn't have to be unhealthy. And at first, when I started searching, and I remember like it was yesterday, uh, when I went to the doctor's office with no medicine, I walked out of the doctor's office, uh, three medicine for diabetes, including insulin, medicine drops on my eyes, medicine for my blood pressure, medicine for the ulcer, medicine for the cholesterol. And I remember saying, you know what? I'm like a miniature Dwayne Reed now. <laughs> I went in with no medicine and I'm walking out with all this medicine. And Jason, I sat down at my computer. Uh, I went to five other doctors because, you know, I didn't take the word of one doctor. I went to five of the best endocrinologists in the city. And they all told me the same thing. Eric, it's hereditary. It's in your, your bloodline, your family DNA. 
uh, you know, there's not much you can do. And so I sat at the computer with this, all the medicine and all of these pamphlets that said living with diabetes. And I went to Google and I Googled and changed one word. I changed to reversing diabetes. And that one word took me down another stream. It took me to another place. And Dr. Gregory came up, Dr. Barnard came up, Dr. Esselton came up, all of these people came up. And I said, can this be true? You know, how am I, uh, all the interaction with healthcare, why have I never heard of this before? It was mind boggling to me that my entire life, I've never heard all the loved ones I lost to chronic diseases. Um, all the times I sat in the, the doctor's office with my family members, I never heard of this different place of disease reversal. It was as foreign as if someone was saying, you know, uh, go visit your hotel on Mars. I was like, this is not even possible. And so um, I, after reading Dr. Gregory's book and calling Dr. Esselton, I went to visit Dr. Esselton uh, in Ohio at the Cleveland Clinic. And he treated Bill Clinton for his heart disease. And he gave me the instructions that, you know, really was life altering and life changing about, you know, look at the food you're eating. And so what was your diet like then? And then how did your diet evolve after that uh, meeting at the Cleveland Clinic? Uh, Dr. Esselton was the first time I heard the term um, outside of some of the reading whole food plant based diet. And I was like, okay, you know, what is that? You know, uh, and so uh, after I spoke with him, I, re I remember he was saying that, you know what, you know, if you want to reverse these symptoms, you have to stop eating meat, your overfixation of meat. And I was saying to myself in the back of my head, what kind of quack is this? I'm losing my sight. He's telling me to stop eat steak, eat, 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 eating steak, you know, but I had nothing to lose. And so when I returned to the city, I looked in my fridge and my cupboards and my pantry and started reading the labels. And I said, wow, these are the things he was talking about. Sugar, fat, salt, processed. That was my diet. And as a retired police officer, you know, I was doing midnights um, throughout a large part of my career. And, you know, let me dispel the rumor. Whoever says that do cops like donuts or not? Yes, we do. All type, all shapes, all sizes. If it wasn't sweet, fried, uh, fast food was the really uh, the corner of my diet. And that's some of the things I point out in the book, Healthy at Last, how we built our entire lives around uh, our consumption of food. And I was really, it was comfort food. If I went to a shooting, and uh, there was a lot of anxiety because someone lost their, their, their life due to violence. I would go eat something. I uh, had that nice Philly cheesesteak to sort of soothe me or at the end of the day of dealing with violence or dealing with trauma, I would go home and pig out on ice cream because it was, it was almost, I was trying to uh, treat my emotions through what I was eating because it became comfort food uh, to deal with some of the discomfort of, you know, what a policing career could do during those times uh, when I was policing. So it was a very unhealthy diet, a lot of sweet, a lot of fried, a lot of processed food. And knowing that I was in the gym and thought I was doing the right thing, I didn't realize that I was poisoning myself slowly leading into the state that I was headed towards. Well, 
you had a pretty remarkable turnaround. You know, when we think of diabetes, you think of hemoglobin A1C levels, and you know, you're, you're supposed to be on the, you know, under under six. Uh, you were at 17, and within six months, I think you got up to 5.7. Yes, yes, and, which and is think, remarkable. And think about this for a moment. Three weeks after going whole food plant based, my vision came back. Wow. Three, three months later, the A1C went down to a 5.7. I don't know when the ulcer went away because I just woke up one day and realized that, wait a minute, I'm not feeling that discomfort in my stomach anymore. That ulcer saved my life because that's what pushed me to go into the doctor's office. The tingling went away in my hands and feet. My cholesterol normalized, my blood pressure normalized, my PSA went to a 1.1 um, before it was higher. My uh, kidney numbers uh, normalized. My body made a complete reversal. I, I dropped 35 pounds and it just really became a very firm uh, uh, body uh, after. It, it was unbelievable when you, when you thought about it. The body that was inside me that I knew existed came out when I changed the poisoning that I was doing in a slow fashion. And that's what I talk about in, the, in my book, Healthy at Last, of how you can make that transformation. Because all of us, we all have the body that we know. And we often believe that because we move in age uh, for women when they have children or for men, uh, they put on a few pounds or they get that, uh, that gut. We tend to believe this is it. And we don't realize, no, it's not it. You can reverse aging. The, the fountain of youth is found in your fridge. And that is where you must start. And it's an amazing transformation, not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. I love it. You're preaching in the choir. So I'm curious, when you went back to your doctor, what did he say? You know, it was so funny. Uh, when I went back to the internist, and he pricked my finger to test my A1C, I mean, my uh, blood glu glucose level. And he looked at the numbers. He says, wow, the insulin uh, and metformin and other medicine is working. And I took the full bottle of medicine and insulin and I put it on the table and I said, I never used it. And he says, what did you do? I said, I went to a whole food plant-based diet. And throughout that time, for the last... Uh, two years, he has called me with patients and says, I'm in the office with a patient that I would like you to talk to. And so that goes back to us. What I say that when you've planted the fruits of your harvest, go, it will go to feed others. And I am feeding others when I talk to those patients. And many of them have started to look at how to reverse their diseases instead of going to dialysis, uh, uh, limb amputations, uh, you know, vision loss. And that is just so important and so fulfilling for me as a, you know, part of this journey. So, you know, you mentioned earlier being a police officer and, you know, witnessing extraordinary trauma. And you mentioned, you know, going to Dr. Google, Google if you will, uh, and having this revelation. And I'm curious, you know, look, the, the, the people 
out there on the front lines, uh, people in government, people in hospitals, civil servants, police officers, firemen, so forth. We can go on and on. People who, you know, are, are saving lives every day, uh, especially you know in this time of COVID, people we really need, and they're experiencing extraordinary trauma. And yet, you know, why why do you think we're not talking enough about you know eating more plant based, about nutrition, about uh, about the power of food to heal. Why, why do you think that's just not part of the conversation? And you go to a hospital and there's, you know, there's there's donuts on the menu and, and all this crap. What, what's your take? That's, Jason, that's, that is such an amazing question. And it seems simple, but it's a little more complex uh, than we realize uh, how we have embedded uh, poor habits into our lives, we actually have to unlearn to learn correctly. And we have attached ourselves and we have rooted our culture in the indoctrination of things that are just wrong. And some of us are really ashamed to say, this is what I planted my tree in. The roots run so deep. And the thought of a replanting it's so frightening for our medical schools. How do you now go and say, wow, we sent out millions of physicians and told them that you're supposed to treat symptoms and not underlying causes. We, we taught people how to write prescriptions. We don't teach nutrition. Uh, how do we go to our hospitals now and say, we have to re-examine the meals. Someone goes into the hospital for colon cancer, they come back to their room and they eat in the food that caused the cancer in the first place. You have diabetics who are in hospitals being given uh, Coca-Cola and white bread and processed meat. You know, it's, it is as though we feed the crises. And so it is frightening um, for government to acknowledge that, wow, we have to actually rethink this entire food process. And it's challenging for a lot of people uh, to even think so. And, you know, many people internalize because remember what's important is that that chocolate cake was not only food for me. That is what my dad used to give me when I used to strike out in Little League. So the food that we eat is also attached to the emotions that we have. And so when you said to me, hey, you have to stop eating that chocolate cake. It was like, are you saying my dad was bad? <laughs> you know, you know. So people attach the recipes to their auntie, uh, to their grandmother. This was handed down from generations, and you know, I point that out in Healthy at Last, the book of the attachment we have to food. And so when we start to change that direction, we have to do it in a gentle fashion to show how we are evolving now. And sometimes that is very challenging for people. You want to get in a big fight with someone, start talking about what's on their plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so, you know, you talked about diabetes being something perceived as, you know, something you got when, when you were older. And, you know, coming back to, to COVID, um, you, know, you know, we talked about, Early on, you know, you got to social distance, got to wear a mask, got to san hand sanitizers, all that stuff. Yet we also know that COVID is disproportionately uh, affecting people with diabetes, 
people uh, suffering from obesity. And it took the CDC forever to talk about nutrition and diet. And, and also in the context of diabetes used to be something that you just got when you were older and you dealt with it maybe with medication uh, if you weren't interested in, in lifestyle or you weren't aware of some of the lifestyle changes to now something that could become catastrophic very quickly. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're, it feels like we're starting to talk about nutrition and diet, at least the CDC is, but I'm curious. And, and we also know that too, that like it disproportionately affects, you know, BIPOC communities, minorities, disadvantaged people on the front line, all the people we, we need to take care of. Um, so, so what's your take on, you know, what do you hope will emerge from this pandemic in terms of the way we look at health and nutrition, um, you know, as a, culturally, as a society and, and, and from government? It's a big so, question. It's a big question. No, no, it is. But it's, it's a very important uh, case, Jason, because uh, here in the borough of Brooklyn, uh, number one, we are extremely diverse. Forty seven percent of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. And we have our own diabetes called flatbush diabetes which is a version of diabetes and it, it hits uh poorer communities uh in a, in a very uh, large way and when you look at coronavirus uh the fact that over 90 percent of the people who are hospitalized and who lost their lives uh had comorbidities and they had pre-existing conditions and it's just a fancy term for saying they, had, they were diabetic respiratory issues uh, heart disease all of those diseases uh, that could actually aggravate coronavirus and something that you didn't hear people talk about, uh, you know, how do we change our healthcare system to be more uh, proactive than reactive? I think we lost a golden opportunity because during the time of coronavirus, you know what we were doing? We were feeding people. Uh, many of our seniors who had these comorbidities had to get their food from government. Uh, many people who are living in economically challenging communities, they had to get their food from government. So here was our opportunity as part of the millions of people and mills we distributed and the grab and go. This was our opportunity to say, hey, we're going to introduce you to healthy food. That would have been a double win. Number one, people were compelled to get their food from a source. That food source should have been healthy. Number two, we would have been introducing them to, to new food. And number three, remember, I had a fast turnaround because of, of my healthy lifestyle. So we would have started to change some of those pre-existing conditions, symptoms that was causing people to be hospitalized and in some cases lose uh, their lives. Uh, we would have been actually becoming proactive in prevention instead of just feeding people into the crisis we were walking people into the mall based on the food we were giving them. When you looked at some of the food that we delivered to people, it was a shame. It was shameful and alarming that we was causing the crisis. So we need to look at immune strengthening food. Um, how does it become part of our overall healthcare ecosystem? Of healthy food is part of that, and that's some of the things we're doing at Bellevue uh, Hospital. Uh, with our first of its kind uh, lifestyle medicine initiative that we partnered with Dr. McMacken with. Well, this is such an important point because look, the, the knock on health and wellness is, you know, it's expensive. 
uh, access. Uh, there's a, a great quote uh, from Ron Finley, the gorilla gardener who's based out in LA and said, uh, you know, if I want organic tomato, I got to drive 45 minutes. And he famously said, more people are killed by drive-throughs than, than drive-bys. <laughs> and right. speaking to the access issue. Right. And so, you know, there are barriers like, you know, access education, access to food. Uh, you know, what can we do better here given the, the, the archaic systems if you will, that we have in place, you know, and it extends beyond Brooklyn, like as a as a society in the United States, what can we do better? Because it's such an important point, like this thing started in March, you know, we're recording this in, in, in late August, you know, a lot could have happened. Your your transformation happened very quickly. Yes, yes. No, so true. And, it, and, and I had conversations with the mayor about this and the food czar, uh, Kath, Kathleen, Gar Kathy Garcia, and even uh, helping hospitals uh, to tell them this is a golden opportunity. Um, we were buried with coronavirus, and, and, and but this was our opportunity to turn that burial into a planting. I keep going back to uh, use these opportunities. Uh, and they just, they were caught in the crises. And it take, real leadership is not seeing where we are, but where we can go. You can't be weighted down by the crises. And because, you know, crises go through this cycle. And if you're not able to see beyond the crises and say, how do I use this crisis as an opportunity? Uh, then you would be stuck in the crises. And we were stuck in the crises. Uh, the city was so busy worrying about what could have happened uh, that we didn't look at what was actually happening and figure out ways to get out of it. Uh, this was an opportunity to be transformative in our thinking, in our process of how we deal with our healthcare system. And I'm hoping that as we talk about this uh, new norm, because believe it or not, coronavirus is not uh, behind us. Uh, we may have a reoccurrence in October and November of you know, the thing of face masks and, and tests, the, the new uh, term PPE. This may be part of our vocabulary. Scientists have been saying for some time uh, that because of our overconsumption of meat, uh, we are creating these super uh, viruses and that this is part of what we're going to experience. So we have to change the way we are living uh, on this globe in general, but specifically here in America. And, and by doing so, um, how we produce food, grow food, what we're doing with food, according to our environment, but how we use and burn the Amazon for, uh, you know, chicken feed and livestock. Uh, we need to rethink our existence on this planet because what we're doing is not only hurting our mothers, it's hurting Mother Earth. And we need to think differently about it. And that's what's going to take bold thinking. Even when you look at the Green New Deal, Jason, it doesn't dig into um, as much on what we need to do about of the substantial impact of our overconsumption globally on meat. And no one wants to touch this. They want to tinker around the edges. It goes back to food and we must be honest about it. Amen. Uh -huh. So also with regards to, to COVID and, and what's in the news right now as we're speaking is which a lot of people are excited about in New York is gyms and fitness studios are partially reopening and, and you've been a part of that out front in the news about that. Can you talk about like, what's your view? You know, what, what's the importance in your mind 
uh, of working out of, of these places attempting to reopen in terms of our 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 health and well-being is so 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 true uh, you know it's important and I and those are some of the topics I, I touch on uh, also in the book healthy at last uh, the power of exercise and I'm a, I'm a big believer that you know being in a space such as a gym uh, can be motivating and exciting and it's allowed the cross-pollination of communicating with other people. But I show in the book how exercise does not only mean a gym membership, it's being creative. Uh, when I take the subway, which I do a lot, I would get off a stop before my stop so I can walk that additional stop to get in my uh, walking. Um, having a standing desk in your office, a stationary bike where you can hop on, uh, walking uh, to and from uh, you know businesses. You know, sometimes when I do my meetings, we would do a walk-in meeting and walk and talk at the same time. Uh, so it's about being creative. But for those who enjoy the gym space, uh, when we reopen the city, we have to make sure that we're doing it gender neutral. We opened the city uh, for gym, but we said that, hey, we're not going to allow any classes. Hold on a moment. 85% of the people who use classes are women. Uh, many of the studios, the yogas, the Pilates, uh, the other exercise classes, they're owned by women, these studios. So you can't say it's okay for men to go in and lift weights or to use the method of exercising that they do, but we're going to hold off on the women. And so that was my call in communication to City Hall. Uh, the governor said we can open. The City Hall said they're not going to open the classes. That's a big mistake. Because exercising is not only physical, uh, physically important, it is also how you deal with your mental stress. Science is clear uh, what it does to uh, release uh, those good chemicals in your body, how it manages stress, what it does for your movement. You know, people have been uh, stuck inside, indoors. Uh, this is a great opportunity to deal with the therapy. It's something, JC, that many people have ignored over these last few months. Every week I speak with the presidents of my hospitals and they say, Eric, we are having a major uptick in mental health illnesses. Our mental health uh, uh, facilities are bursting at the scene. Uh, we need to deal with the mental health illnesses that um, basically uh, have come from coronavirus. And this uh, could uh, being able to go to a gym and exercise is one way of addressing some of that stress. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you know, we already had a mental health crisis, and COVID's just accelerated that. And like you saw that the CDC numbers, which were just frightening, 25.5 percent of Americans aged 18 to 24 seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days, and 16 percent of 25 to 44. Like, if that's not scary, I, I don't know what is. It is. It, it really is, and we've experienced a number of suicides. Uh, here in the borough, uh, and actually some of my uh, staffers, uh, you know, I have about three staffers who had uh, close family members who committed suicides, and it's, it's, it's very real, and we can't ignore it. And those numbers, uh, you know, speaks volume. When you look at the millions of people who consider themselves to be Americans, uh, those are substantial numbers. And it is a, it's extremely difficult to detect. A person could, you know, they could be sitting at their desk uh, doing their daily uh, daily uh, business 
and just walk to another room, another place and take their lives. It's, it's harboring inside them. And if we don't give the right outlets to prevent this and believe it or not, uh, being able to uh, find those outlets through exercise is one of them to really deal with some of the stress that coronavirus produced. Added on to the stress of life, uncertainty of your employment, uncertainty of your living standards. Are you going to be able to pay your rent of food? The food pantry lines have gotten much larger. Young people that I speak with on those lines uh, say, I never thought I'll be here. I graduated from a prestigious institution. Uh, I was gainfully employed. I had an amazing career. And now I'm finding myself on a food pantry line trying to get whatever's possible. And I don't know if I can pay my rent. That is a real switch in the stabilization of a person's life. And so, you know, the knock on, you know, one knock on wellness is, uh, is affordability, accessibility, and then the other knock, specifically when it comes to exercises, I don't have the time. And I remember when the pandemic started, you were famous for, you were living in the office. I think you put like a cot in there. <laughs> so like, and you're, you're, you're a pretty busy guy. There's a lot going on in the borough and now you, you got a book, you're in a book tour, uh, a virtual book tour. Uh, but how do you find time? Like what's a day in the life for you? How do you, how do you fit it in? Cause people say, I don't have the time. <laughs> That's such a great question, Jason. And I tell people to flip that around. Uh, you don't have the time not to. Uh, that is so important because let me tell you something. You may not you say you don't have the time for your health, but you're going to find the time to go to dialysis uh, three days a week, uh, three hours a day, if you like it or not. You're going to find yourself the time to get a CNI doll. You're going to find the time uh, to have to uh, go into the restroom or in your office to inject yourself with insulin. So either you're going to control your time or your ailments are going to control you. It's one or the other. And it's only a matter of time before it materializes until you are going to have no other choice like I was faced with. And so the book points out uh, how you need to build your health around your life and not your life around your health. And that's what I was doing. And many of us are guilty of it. And, you know, it's not to beat yourself up. We get caught up in the daily grind of you know the children the office appointments we get caught up in that and what i try to do in the book is to show people how do you start uh, building your life around your health food prep like i do my food prep at the beginning of the week and this way i can just go in know what i'm going to cook have it mapped out already and it makes it easier you know what you can bring to, to with you to the office there's so much you can do uh, to become more creative with your time, that this way you can find the time to do what you need to do. And then be creative about uh, this thing called exercising. If you like golf, play golf uh, and, and walk through you know, the golf course. You know, Getting those steps in, uh, as I stated, the standing desk in your office is very powerful. Here it is, you're building the time into what you do naturally. And that is what I like to encourage people to do and what I pointed out in the book, uh, Healthy at Last, is how you built into your life what you're doing already, uh, methods that would become a win-win. You're carrying out your daily activities, but you're doing it in a healthy way. I love it. You mentioned steps. You know, don't take the elevator. Take the stairs. There you go. Get them <laughs> in. Get them in. And so 
you know, I, you have such a powerful story, and, I, and I'd like to, to close with that in terms of, you know, any advice for someone out there who maybe just got, you know, a, a diagnosis that is daunting or they got some lab work, which is scary, or someone facing a health crisis, you know, you're such an inspirational story where in some ways, you know, your diagnosis was, was quite serious. You know, you were going, you're going blind. Uh, some people, you know, it, it's a, it's a quick path to, to death. You were on that track. I could be, <laughs> some would say that, um, to an early, to an early death. Like what, what advice do you have to someone out there who's, who's struggling right now with, with a diagnosis or an ailment and wants to turn it around? Well, I, I think the best thing is just look at my mom, 80 years old, 15 years diabetic, seven years on insulin. Uh, mom watched my journey. She joined me two months later. She was off her insulin. She was on nine medications at the time. She was able to cut those medications down to only three. Uh, at 80 years old, uh, uh, it's never too late uh, to embrace a healthier lifestyle and at a minimum of, uh, you know, the changing of your diet, you are going to uh, change the dosage of your medication. You're going to change uh, some of the conditions that you're going through. There is no lose here, you know, so it's not, it's not possible uh, to embrace a healthier diet, to give your body of what's it, what it needs so that it can fight off diseases. That's so important. Uh, our body uh, is uh, made up of small armies uh, throughout our bodies that want to fight off uh, the intrusion of diseases. The more we give it the tools that it needs, it is going to be strong enough to fight off of those invading armies. Those invading armies could be pandemics. It could be colds. It could be the flu. It could be diabetes, heart disease. Those are all invading armies. They are not natural. And you don't get these uh, invasions because you are older. You get these invasions that are successful because you did not give your army the nutrition that it needs to fight the right battle. battle. Now we're looking at Alzheimer's and dementia. For years, we thought that because you get older, uh, your, your brain loses its ability uh, to process information. And clearly, some of the doctors we partner with, they're showing the, the close correlation, the clear correlation between the food we eat and the erosion of our ability to comprehend information in the late, later years. The, the research is very clear. Uh, it's all about the food. And so my message to those out there is uh, don't beat yourself up. There are good days and bad days. Trust me. Uh, throughout this four-year journey, I have consumed and I have, uh, some things, and I said, "Wait, now you you know you're not supposed to eat that, Eric. You know, but you know we have tomorrow is another day. You know, I don't know which song it was, but the sun would come out tomorrow. <laughs> you know, don't worry about those rainy days. Of uh, you know, as long as you believe, as long as you continue to take those forward steps, you will be fine. Anyone in NA or AA would tell you that." Uh, one day at a time. And as long as you continue to move forward one day at a time, uh, you, will, you will be fine. Uh, you know, it's not about looking down on each other. It's about how do we help each other to become the optimum person that we would like to be. And that's what I'm excited about. That's what I believe the book, uh, which is, I think is an easy read, 
uh, and just give people some useful and powerful information of how do you deal with the full personhood of who you want to become. And it doesn't matter if you are eight or 88, uh, there's a person in you that you would like to be, and you could be that person by taking some basic steps forward. Well, we, I love the book, Healthy at Last. Everyone listening, it is a book you need to pick up and highly recommended for anyone who has a loved one that they're struggling with. Eric's story is truly inspirational. And you know, in terms of being inspirational, I will really close with this. Look, so th there's a lot, a lot happening in the world right now. Uh, you alluded to it. There, there's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of suffering, uh, a lot of unrest. And you know, I'm a hope guy. I know you're a hope guy. What's your message of hope for people out there? You know, beyond the conversation of health, or just like you know, enough of 2020. I'm struggling. <laughs> You know, we're always going to have 2020s and years like that. I'll never forget being a lieutenant at the time when we saw two planes fly into our trade center. And I went down there that night and after the buildings collapsed and the ground was smoldering and I saw officers and firefighters and military personnel filled with soot and people were sitting around. America... Uh, we were hitting our gut. And I remember saying to myself that I don't know if we could make it through this one because it was so devastating at the heart of who we were, you know, not since Pearl Harbor, since we witnessed such a devastating attack on our soil in such an important city. And something miraculous happened on 9-12. We got up. Uh, teachers taught, builders built, businesses opened, retailers sold their goods and services. And we started to put out the flags on our porches. We started to communicate with each other. We came together as a country and renewed our spirit and reminded us who and what we are. Uh, America is great, not because of the land that we're on. We're great because if I can borrow from another Brooklyn Knight, the owner of Snapple, we're great because we're made up of the best stuff on earth. And that's the peoples and families that are here. And so we're going to get through coronavirus. We're going to get through the economic challenges. We're going to get through all of this because we are the best. And that's why we call ourselves Americans. And so that is the spirit I go to bed with every night. And that's the spirit I wake up with every night. And I want to encourage people to do something that I do. The greatest gift that you can receive is the gift of giving. I have this 100 point plan that I do before I go to sleep every night. I add up my points throughout the day and I have to get 100 points. If I don't, the difference, I put money in a jar and I give away at the end of the week. If I hold the door for someone, I get one point. If I buy a meal for someone, I get five points. If I say good morning, I get a point. I keep building into my life 100 points and every night I need 100 points. And it reminds me to be intentional about being compassionate, about being caring and about giving. And so I ask people, create your own 100 point system and you will build into your life the greatest gift you could ever receive. And that's the gift of giving. And you will appreciate every moment of your life. And that is what I say to people. Don't give up. Give a part of yourself and we will find the right way out of this. 
Amen. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for all the good work you are doing. And again, congrats on the incredible book, Healthy at Last. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take care. <laughs>